0: merciful. And around that throne, 24 elders or 24 thrones with 24 elders seated in each of the thrones or or one elder seated in each of the 24 thrones. Clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Apparently ruling with God in glory. Words about descriptions of God's heaven, God's courtroom, God's throne room, do not do any justice to it at all. I mean, they're here before us. We can use our imagination, and and we're almost overwhelmed. We cannot match what, we cannot imagine what he saw. I read a tweet that just kind of brings us in. <laughs> Tweets. Someone posted online this week, and it seemed like a very reasonable man. The sun is 94 million miles away, and we cannot look at it very long without damaging our sight. But we still think we can casually come into the presence of a glorious God. On Sunday morning, when you enter for worship... We're supposed to, I could say, we're supposed to get a whiff of God's courtroom. Just a fragrance of him. That's what worship is all about. That's what was described here. In full glory, without any veils, without anything covered over, God was revealed. And the Apostle Paul said, we walk by faith. So on Sunday morning, when we come in here, we, by faith, are gazing into heaven. <laughs> and I don't, I'm, it's not me you see any glory in, it's not the furniture. We, by faith, are giving God glory. And the power is described right here. That's why I thought this tweet about looking into the sun and comparing that to God's glory. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire. On each side of the throne, I'm moving quickly, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. We'll need to pause here. Some of you may already have realized this, but reading about these four living creatures, each one had, there's a face, one with the face of a lion, one with the face of a man, one with the face of an eagle, representing all of god's creation but then when john talks about the eyes we just kind of assume the eyes are on their head eyes are always on the head well if you imagine full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle, four living creatures with six wings, full of, are all full of eyes all around him within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We assume the eyes are on the head, but when he's, he doesn't mention the eyes until he talks about the wings. What well, were the eyes and the wings? They may not have been actual eyes. May I remind you how God created the peacock. And when they open their plumage and their feathers are out, those patterns look like eyes. It's a little bit of speculation. Perhaps that's what John saw. It makes more sense. Then these creatures with eyes all over their heads because he's talking about each of them with six wings are all full of eyes all around and within. He's talking about the wings. They're decorated. They look beautiful. They're glorious. But they don't hold a candle to the Lord God. Does this make sense? Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. See, They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, you, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Well, revelation 5 then i saw in the right hand him who was seated on the throne a scroll written from with written within and on the back sealed with seven seals and they saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. We see several times in the book of Revelation how John responds. Sometimes he does not respond very well. Sometimes he responds in sorrow and grief. Sometimes he just makes a mistake, and we'll see those as we move through. But here he, he gets... He assumes too much too quickly. No one can open this scroll and it it impresses upon him an emotion. He's weeping. He's literally grieving because the will of God seems to be stopped with this seal, seven seals. No one's, who has the authority to open it? Seals are not something that's hard to break, but they carry with it great authority. and a great penalty if someone who is not qualified opens them it could be des- devastating for that person. And perhaps John is just so curious, but here, sent out into all the earth here again we get a very strange description and John tells us here's the lamb he is before the throne, before the living creatures between the throne and the living creatures and the throne of God and he's got seven horns and seven eyes And he tells us that is the seven spirits of God. We've already looked at that earlier, that that represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit was with the Lord Jesus throughout his ministry. And the Holy Spirit is always within and with the God the Father, God the Son, and mm-hmm. Himself. The three are one. So the Holy Spirit is present there with the Lamb that was slain. Yes. Mm Yes. 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 Absolutely. That's exactly what he's talking about. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all there at creation. John one one also tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So they have always been there present in every place and in every in every moment, in every time, in every age. And I've described this before, and I, I, I think it might help us if we can think of this while we look through Revelation, because there's a lot going on here, and if we can distill it down to one viewpoint, not our viewpoint, but God's viewpoint, it might help us. Uh, years ago, I read a book called Disappointment with God, and Philip Yancey described something about God that I had never thought of. I was a young man then, and it was really quite amazing to be able to read someone else's understanding of Scripture. But he kind of opened up my mind and understanding about the omnipotence of God, and the omnipresence of God, and the omniscience of God, how he is all-knowing. And we think, oh yeah, that's cool, he knows everything. He knows the beginning and the end because he is there at both. Did you hear my language? He is there at both, the beginning and the end. Philip Yancey described how we live. We understand everything in chronological order, timelines. That's how we think. We look back at history, what happened in the past. We hope for what is going to ha- happen in the, pre- in the future. And we deal with what's going on in the present. But in God's omniscience, he sees it all in one view. If we could measure, if we could illustrate every molecule in this room as eternity, and you know molecules are subatomic particles. If every molecule in here could represent eternity and the time in which we live in is represented by one molecule in this room. The thousands of years of history in this world is seen in God's sight just like that. So when we read about Christ being at creation. He was there in the beginning because he's always been there. And we talk about him being in the end he was. He is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. The everlasting. And in verse Six of chapter 5 between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain now John is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who had been crucified and seems to be suggesting that his wounds shall be worn throughout all eternity now we do know that he received a glorified body but there is something about him that seems to remind John this man was wounded as though it had been slain and the presence of the Holy Spirit is upon him he is glorified by omniscience the eyes he is glorified by omnipotence the crown of horns later on in revelation 13:8 there's almost it's almost a parallel text but not quite i'm going to read two translations and i like to talk about the greek revelation 13:8 all who dwell on the earth will worship it is talking about the coming of the beast the power of the Antichrist. All on, who dwell on earth will worship everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. Now that's the ESV. And then you read the New King James. James. Same verse, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Did you catch the difference? Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and... Names have not been written in the book of life. Book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. ESV seems to translate that by saying that the names of these people were not written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. In In the New King James, says the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. It's a big difference. Then I went to look at the Greek. The New King James is right. Now my Greek reading is quite rusty. I can read it to you and translate it word for word. But just take my word for it that the King James is right. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb Slain from the foundation of the world. But I thought he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. We read the creation account, and then we read Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, the accounts of the law of God, and the emphasis. Scripture puts upon the seventh day on the seventh day God rested from all his work all of his work he rested what work you know we understand that's all about creation what more would God do what more could God do there was a covenant promise made before this world was created that Christ would provide redemption. At that moment, within the Godhead, they understood that the Son would be slain. The promise was made then. It was just as good as though it were done because God keeps his promise. In Revelation 5, 6, talking about the, about the Lamb who appeared as though it was slain. In Revelation 13, 8, He was slain before the foundation of the world. Your salvation was secured generations before you were any more than a twinkle in your Father's eye. Verse 7 of chapter 5. He went and took the scroll, the lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they... Did you catch it? you study the Old Testament uh, instructions for the building of the tabernacle and the instructions for building of the temple and the use of incense in worship it's become almost associated, associated with paganism today we don't use incense anymore I mean it's used in the Catholic Church but we don't use it anymore because we've forgotten. It's almost become like idol worship. But here, our prayers in heaven are as though they were incense before the Lord of glory. We keep hoping and understanding and believing that he hears our prayers but this is how they fill his court. This is how they get—they come before his attention. It, I don't mean to be irreverent, but they fill his nostrils. But he enjoys the prayers of the saints. Sir? Well, it makes sense that the prayers would be and, guided and by the Holy Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It would be a beautiful fragrance, and yes, it is guided and corrected by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 8 tells us that we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. Yes. You You better believe that prayers are going up before the Lord around the world all the time. And they sang, verse nine. They sang a new song, saying, "Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." Then I looked, and I heard around the throne. The living creatures and the elders, the voice of the many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And he heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Here we get a very excited, a very triumphant praise of the one who is a divine, eternal hero. He has conquered sin and death. He has established a kingdom of people for his father, and they are giving him praise and he alone is worthy to open those scroll that scroll to break those seals let me just spend a moment at verse 13 i remember when i was in undergraduate study preparing for the ministry i had a greek teacher challenge us to translate a few passages. One was from Philippians where it tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And he said, what about the lost? He challenged us, go home to your Bibles, go home to your commentaries and see if you can come back with a response. People who rebel against God and who never receive Him as their Savior and are sent to hell, will they ever Praise God. And they heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Every knee bow those who who refuse to receive Christ as their Savior those who live in rebellion to the day of their death it does not redeem them but there will come a day when their eternal souls will respond to the divine boot on their necks praise my name and I hope you don't think that statement is unkind because Psalm 110, first verse, and we see it again and again. Christ talked about himself this way, and Peter talks about himself that way at the day of Pentecost. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's what he's talking about. That everyone who spurned the name of Christ, who refused to receive him, will confess that he is lord hebrews 10:11 every priest stand stood ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sins but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever he's talking about in the perfect tense sat down Completed at the right hand of God, and from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. There is still something more to come. The victory has been acquired, but final judgment is yet to come. Chapter 6 Am I moving too fast? Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright and red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hands. And they heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four, fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his whose name was Death, and Hades followed after him. And they were given authority over the fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine and with pestilence and, with, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Let me pause. five seals have been opened. The first four describe what has been traditionally understood as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I don't know if you've ever watched any of the... I've seen the most recently on television. Dispensational teachers, and they've got the big banners, artistic renderings, hanging on big Signs and they literally show four horses and they warn us we will see those riding in the sky one day. I would like to suggest something for your understanding. This one who has the authority to open these seals. This one who was and is and is to come. This one who sees all things from in one moment, in one gaze, from beginning to end. This one who has endured the sins of the ages in his own body. This one who humbled himself and took on human flesh in order that he might provide redemption, has the authority to tell us something right here. That every bit of our rebellion, from the very beginning all the way through history, is going to experience famine and war and pestilence and destruction. You look back through history, you tell me where these four horsemen have not been active. Just, just think about this. You may be accustomed to think, well, they're going to come one day and it's really going to get worse before Jesus comes back. But I'm suggesting to you that they have always been here. It has been determined. I've forgotten the source In all of history, in all of recorded history, there has only been almost six weeks of peacetime. There has always been a war somewhere on this earth. There has always been death and destruction. There has always been hunger and famine. There has always been inflation. There's always been suffering. We look at Revelation and thinking, oh boy, it's really coming. What we see now is not normal. What we see now is mankind receiving the fruit that he has sown under God's authority, under the authority of Christ Jesus. You shall reap what you sow. We are seeing that now. But we think it's okay, it's normal. No, it's not normal. We have no idea what normal is supposed to be like. When he does come, and we are taken up with him, we will see in our first breath in glory what normal really should be. beyond your imagination. Well, I can imagine a little bit, but (laughs) I can imagine myself with ten fingers. I can imagine myself without any pain, without any discomfort, without any fear, without any anxiety. I can imagine that real easy. But to imagine how glorious He is that's beyond me, and that I would get to be there with Him forever. And as we look at this passage in Revelation 6, we also need to see that this is not something that is going to come and we're going to avoid it because the church will be raptured out. Because that's a controversial issue in the church. That we're going to, the church, according to the dispensationalists, the church will be taken out before the tribulation comes. All of this suffering represented by the four horsemen throughout all of the ages does not protect the believing Christian. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. I remember in 1980, I took a class in our church for evangelism explosion. And back then, they were telling us if every believer were to win one soul to Christ every year, this is back in 1980, one soul every year, and if that new convert would win one soul every year, and then the old the, the Christian if for the rest of their life, one soul for the rest of their life, and every new convert would win one soul for the rest of their life, then everybody in the world would be saved by the year two thousand and Jesus could come back. Woohoo. Gospel proclamation is important, and we should be faithful to do it. But we also need to be realist about this. How long, O Lord, before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These saints have suffered for the sake of Christ. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When will Christ Jesus come? When the last martyr is made. That's as honest as I can get it. There's more suffering to come, even for the believer. We are to be faithful. Yes. The teaching about the rapture. Mhm. Mhm. Yes. Exactly. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Verse 12 When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell on the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by the gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? These words, are they about the seven-year tribulation, or are they about the end of the world? John moves from a view, a vision of heaven. Five seals are open, four horsemen of the apocalypse, the suffering of the saints. And then it moves to the sixth seal, the end of the world is described. That's what's going on here. Uh, you don't have to agree with me. Just think about this and consider it. I believe the book of Revelation is supposed to unite the church and bring us understanding and wisdom. Because in those things are great blessings for the Lord. And the first chapter promises that those who read this aloud will be blessed if we understand it. It is a tremendous relief to see everything that's going on in this world and know that that is the folly of man's sin. And it is destroying them. They are running away from God, they are lost, they are in rebellion. And there are a lot of Christians, professing Christians, who are afraid they are right, telling us how wrong we are. But when we see what is described in Revelation and we compare it to what we see in this world, we are reaffirmed we are reassured God is true and every man is a liar. Next week we will get into chapter 7 and we will return to uh, chapters 2 and 3 about the seven churches, but I wanted to get some of this in your minds, because what we learn here it kind of enhances what we see in, in the instructions to the church. Why was it so important for them to be faithful? Because the world is in destruction in mode, and the church is not supposed to follow. Are there any other questions? Yeah, he is coming back for. He's the one who's made her blameless. Yeah, there. The, 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 I think you're talking about post-millennial view. That, that, you know, is talking about, a, we'll talk about that a little bit little bit later on, but this post view talks about the kingdom reign of the church age is supposed to escort in the coming of the Lord, that the church is supposed to get more, grow and be blessed and more fruitful and successful, and then Christ returns. And the amillennial, which... Yeah, is now, in the amillennial view, understands that the church should be more faithful during that time, but the persecution is going to get greater and greater and greater until the end times. And that's why we can call those last years severe tribulation years before the coming of the Lord. Which I suspect we're very near that because I think I've mentioned to a few of you already, we have seen things going on in nations from time to time, in the last couple of hundred years especially. The oppression, the communism, the socialism. The op- but this is the first time it's ever been worldwide. Worldwide. The southeastern United States. We see signs of it, but we are not experiencing the pressure that Canada or Australia or England is enduring. They are really trying to control people, they are really trying to control the churches. They're really stri- restricting movement. This is the first time we've ever seen anything like this worldwide. And this could be moving us very near the Lord's return. If prayers are not answered and things get turned around. That's my political statement for the day. Right. Exactly. I would agree. Uh, God is giving these people over to their own lust, their own passions, their own confusion, and in their anger and in their vitriol, they are accusing us. Of all sorts of, it's, they politely call it virtue signaling. They accuse us of being the hypocrites. That's not God's wrath against us. That's the world's persecution of the believer. And from his very first sermon, he told us we would be persecuted. Just before he died, he told his disciples. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. So, it's a difference between God's wrath giving them over to their own lusts and passions, and they're persecuting us. It's a difference. That's why these, these saints under the throne of heaven were calling out When will we be avenged? How long before we are avenged? Rest a little longer until your number is complete. There are more who will suffer persecution. And I would agree with you as well that those who believe in the tribulation in the rapture, taking us out of the tribulation, it, it kind of tends to, oh, boy, I'm going to escape all that. I don't have to do anything. I think it kind of tends to bolster some laziness in the Christian. There are going, they're going to be a lot of shocked faces um, come Judgment Day. There are going to be a lot of popular religious speakers. I won't call them preachers. Who have huge followings. Religious celebrities. That's a good term. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And it's tragic. But we need to remain faithful. We need to be true to the word, true to the Lord. Any other questions? Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word and its truth and its power in our lives. We ask, Lord, as we look at its wisdom, that it might help us, instruct us, and encourage us to be faithful to you in these difficult days. Lord, we have all been praying for deliverance Quite honestly, from the politicians. We aren't quite sure what might happen, but we trust that whatever does happen, you are always true and you are always faithful. Let us lean upon that promise. Encourage us this week. Let us use our energy for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.